1: Coming to you from the inferno of a state of California, which has been rumored to be set ablaze by a 8th reveal party. We're still, we're still looking into that. I am your host, Eric Van Johnson, and with me are my friends, John Condon.
2: Hello and thomas right up. hello i'm playing with obs again
1: you just we're just not gonna have your focus at all are we?
2: no not in the slightest bit
1: that's okay i have i have enough topics this week i think i can carry the entire show we had had a very exciting week in the laravel world and, and i'm happy to to um to and um, say i have feedback <clears throat> so this week laravel 8 was released um you know, it, it, so Laravel 8 is now the current version of Laravel, which was fun. I immediately installed it and brought a project that we've been waiting to do up to Laravel 8 and got it deployed. So it was nice because it gave me some insight on some of the things I had questions about. And I definitely wanted to come to you guys with that kind of information because I think I know I I misrepresented some of the topic. Uh, The big one was the schema dump stuff. So I did take a closer look at the schema dump after I I got it installed on on my project and just saw exactly what it did. First off, I saw no evidence that it dumps the data. It's just the schemas. Well, there's, there's a caveat to that. But in general, it doesn't dump the data. It just dumps the schema. It doesn't delete the migrations by default either. It doesn't even move them. It keeps them in the migration folder. So all the migrations stay there. It doesn't delete them. There is a switch you can throw called prune, which does delete the migrations. I have no idea why you would ever do this, or why you would ever delete your, your existing migrations. But if you ever wanted to, there's now a command that lets you do it. I, I, it seems like a bad idea, but... Whatever, that's neither here nor there. Now I said there was one caveat to the fact that it doesn't export data. This is actually the thing that differentiates it from doing just a MySQL dump, which is the conversation we had about, well, why wouldn't you just MySQL dump this? MySQL dump is so much faster. And and it is. Um, but at the very end of the schema dump, at the very end, it does dump the data from the migrations table. So essentially that's how oh. it knows where it's at. Like how much... So essentially when you do a artisan migrate it first looks for the schema dump file if it does that it runs it and then it sees what migrations aren't in the migration table and starts running those that's how it all works Hmm. Hmm.
3: i could go ahead I i was gonna say i could see that being faster for very large uh tables or large numbers of tables but still creating schemas normally pretty quick the slow part in getting a like my local system setup is all the data i also need in order to make the system work
1: that's a great point and something i've been thinking about um and would appreciate your input john and obviously tom if if you have an idea on this as well but we had mentioned in the past how our workflow was always if there was data that was required in uh in a table so let's let's just say for the user table we always want to make sure we have a Diego dev admin user in that table. Our workflow or pol- not policy, but our workflow in the past has been, we add that in the migration. We don't add it as a separate cedar. Seeder. A uh, seeders is meant to populate data, you know, I use it mainly for to populate factories, but, you know, maybe we put some known data in there. But it's not meant to be, like, part of a release of the data of of an application. So we, though, always put it in the migration. Now, obviously, if we were to take advantage of the SQL dump, that wouldn't work. So the question is, do we consider our workflow in start putting that data in the seeders and then just start doing some, you know, if statements of okay, if this is in production only seed it with this known data, if this was development you can throw some factories in here. That
2: seems See,
3: that's, like it's I'm, asking
2: for
1: trouble.
3: Yeah. That's why I, <laughs> I that's why I always put the known necessary data in the migration was that runs automatically through uh, CI or my CI/CD pipelines, right? right. So When a migration runs, the data is in all environments from dev, testing, staging, production. I don't have to worry about it where if you put it in a seeder, you have to know to run it or like you're saying, put these weird flags in there, which is asking for trouble. You you screw that up somehow and all of a sudden you got data Mm -hmm. that you don't want. In production,
2: we have hotfix migration, so we have a different <laughs> migration directory that only executes for production. But that's for production
3: for production data. That makes that makes sense. But yeah. in general, in general, for like the system I work on, there is data that because of the system is the code is fifteen years old. There's a lot of legacy crap that comes with it, and there has to be certain like user records, and it kind of has to be the same across all environments because they use magic IDs or whatever. So that data for us makes more sense in a migration. It's not a, Mm -hmm. not necessarily a production only thing.
2: Yeah. And these aren't like
3: hard and fast rules. Well, it is if you're going to use this schema dump.
2: (laughs) That's, that's the
1: problem, right? right? It is a hard and fast rule if you want to use the schema dump. Yeah. I'm I'm
3: still not sure. I'm still not fully understanding the purpose of it other than a very large database structure where you can do it in one file versus running lots of migrations, but the migration should be pretty quick.
1: I I, I agree with you. I, I'm even working on a project now that has uh, a, a few hundred migrations in it, and I'm working on it in a dev environment. Yeah, it takes a minute or two for all the migrations to run, but you know, it's not like it's you know, it's not like I can't do any work or or the the world isn't going to spin for the next two minutes. It's It just doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Now, I did think of one potential use case that we may be able to make the argument where this would help us. And this is only if if you could teach all your developers this workflow. But if you did a a schema dump before every pull request, that would resolve the issue, for example, we see in DigitalOcean, where it won't run the migration unless you add that additional line. But again, you're talking about adding one additional line. I mean... What, what's harder to remember to add one, one additional line to a migration or to run a schema dump before you do a PR. So right. that's that's kind of like the only potential like okay well that would have helped us
3: there maybe probably did, but did they did they include any use cases when they announced the feature like what their use case was for creating it I, the, the only ones I've heard to answer your question no I, and I still
1: have yet to watch the actual whole talk. So this is just. I looked in it. I looked into it after I deployed it and started saying, "Okay, what is the schema dump exactly?" Oh, and and, uh, Jeffrey Way also has uh, a whole series on uh, Laracast now. What's new in Laravel eight? If you're curious, that series, I believe the whole series is free. I can't tell. I even tweeted to Jeffrey Way. I can't tell. Looking at a video, what's free? What's not free? I always have to like paste it into a, a incognito browser to see if i can still see it but i believe the whole series of what's new in laravel 8 is free on laracast yeah i think um is. Is. The, but, but the um, answer sorry
3: mm-hmm. I, I happen to look real quick on laravel news somebody wrote an article and it's meant to speed up your tests because you're running migrations on every single push you know up to mm-hmm. your your cd ci cd system mm-hmm. and I guess running the, the dump file is much faster than running individual migrations.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just don't know. I just don't know how big of a, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess if people find it handy, there's no reason not to have it. I just, I don't think I'm going to use it. I, I don't, I just don't have a, a need to use it. I don't know. Yeah.
2: Yeah, my cedars take two hours. I don't care about how long that migration extra second shit, whatever
1: that you know, that's a good point. And in, in this project I'm working on, it spends more time on the cedars than it does the, the migrations just fly through.
3: Yeah. So which yeah. you would expect. I don't know. If I guess if you're doing hundreds of uh pull requests or runs of your yeah. continuous integration system. Maybe it would help, but it seems a bit much. And they, it only runs that dump file if the database is empty or you're doing a migrate fresh.
1: Right. That Yep. That's right, yeah. It's
3: so only it wouldn't only be used in production.
1: And, and I believe, I believe, Lara- uh, Laravel, <laughs> I believe Taylor even mentioned, don't, you wouldn't typically do this in production, which I, again, I don't know how you prevent it, right? Because if it becomes part of the repo and you have a dev staging production environment, how do you say, okay, in production, don't run the schema file because it's what? production.
3: You want it because when you, in production, all you're doing is a migrate and that looks like, Oh, as I a, see, oh I see there's already a migrations table. I'm mm-hmm. going to continue migrations.
1: It's, it's only pushing forward. Yeah. I get what right. you're yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, the good, one of the good things is it, it took me about 30, 35 minutes. Um, but, uh, I do have a UUID package out there. It's under a Diego dev lab. And I included that on this project I was working on and I didn't have to make any changes to the package. The package was fine. Um, What I did have to do is I had to take into account uh, there's a Teams table. So I I installed it with Teams. So there was a Teams table I had to address. There's a user to Teams pivot table I had to address. And there's even a user ID in the sessions table. So that's just a matter of me going back and correcting those migrations. Um, But like I said, the good news is the package works. Uh, So I have UUIDs. That was actually one of the things I was stressing about because I didn't want to have to figure all that out again um, with the new Laravel. And there was nothing to figure out. I was very, very happy about it. Uh, we also talked last week about the Laravel installer, which was released before the framework Laravel 8 was released. I mentioned that I had to uninstall the installer, reinstall it to get the current version. Well, it turns out that there's even um, another current version it's already been iterated on i just i was just i was able to do a composer a uh, global update for this one but all it does is it streamlines a lot of the uh like like i said you have an option to install JetStream, you have an option to install inertia or live wire this allows you to do it all on one command again instead of having to answer questions uh, the way it was set up so it's a small it's a small um, update, and if you don't use that stuff, you might not even miss it. But uh, it's easy enough to. Update.
3: So is this github. dot com slash diego dev labs? Because I'm not seeing that.
1: Uh it's in the Trello board if you want to go to it. I I actually don't wow. know. Yeah, it's it's Diego Diego Labs, actually. Diego Dev was apparently taken, I guess. Um actually I don't know why you didn't do Diego Dev. Oh it's Diego Labs. It's not Diego Dev Labs, it's Diego right. Labs. That's what we've called that's what we called it. Yeah. So it's Diego Lab on GitHub, the the UUID package that I've had out there. Even had a uh Diego Dev uh developer make some changes. Uh it was sometime a couple months back. Yeah, it's out though. Um Short of that, so I I do have a little bit of a problem, and I literally just did this around like 10 o'clock last night. I uh, haven't gotten back to it, but like the email verification workflow wasn't working for me. And I, I've only done everything out of the box. So I haven't haven't done anything custom with the exception of the UUID piece. And because I thought the UUID piece might have been part of the problem, I even did an install without the UUID piece. And my email verification workflow was still breaking. So I don't know. I guess I guess if people are having a few problems with with Jetstream. There was some back and forth on Twitter recently about you know some of the issues people are seeing with jetstream and and you know pros and cons of, of what is JetStream. It. So I don't know if this is the f- official. I, I I don't I don't sit there and hover through all the Laravel uh, ecosystem jargon anymore. But from what I've seen of of JetStream, it looks like it's replacing the front end UI packages that you needed before. So remember, he had removed all the front end UI stuff. So if you wanted to scaffold your your login. And uh registration stuff you have to include in another package. This from what I from what I can tell replaces that. And, and it's it's a it's basically that on steroids. It's it's a registration, it's a uh, authentication sign in, it's a profile management. Um uh I, I don't know if I don't think Teams is actually considered
3: part of Jetstream, so let's not say that yeah, yeah it is an optional team management. Two-factor authentication, Uh, session management. Two-factor
1: authentication, yep, session management, exactly, yeah. So there's a lot of goodness in it. I mean, it really kind of bootstraps your application with a lot of the the normal grunt work you got to do to get a secure app up and running, and you can just start coding again. So I like it. I mean, I, I definitely think it's an improvement in yeah, Matt, I have no issue with it at all, but uh, I can't get my email verification workflow <laughs> working, so...
2: Well, what version of 8 are you on? Because I've noticed that there's already four. Oh, I don't
1: know. I, like I said, I, I installed it uh, last night, um, so I would have to go look. I I, don't, I couldn't tell you. Um, short of that... I uh, suppose one so day I'll get
3: my, my Laravel application updated from 5 and get it up to 8 and try it out.
1: Yeah, you got a, a long road ahead of you. My friend. Yeah, it's like 10 classes, so it can't be that hard. (laughs) So I got something for you, John, that might interest you, might not interest you, because I know know you're a little bit like me on this particular topic. Um, So first off, full transparency, I don't think anybody will be surprised at at this uh, round table here, Uh, but I'm falling back in love with my Vim. Like, my Vim configuration had gotten so out of whack that I decided to scrap all my Vim stuff in start again with NeoVim, which is like the latest, greatest uh, iteration of Vim. It's not Vim, it's NeoVim. It's a separate product. It's just completely Vim, Vim compatible. It turns out there there's a bunch of backstory to all that. I don't this, this is not what I'm here talking about. I'm just saying I've gotten more into Vim. But I still use PHP Storm for my development of PHP. And I know, or at least I believe, John... You were like me where you weren't using PHP Storm's built in Git management system. You would pop over the command line and do your Git stuff. Do you still do that?
3: No, I use PHP Storm for most of it. I use the command line oh. for I use command line for rebasing mainly, even though PHP Storm's is pretty decent from what I've seen, but I'm just more comfortable with the command line for that one. Uh, okay. But outside of that, right. I, I pretty much use PHP Storm.
1: And maybe, maybe this won't interest you. I, I don't know why I still use the command line. Um, it might have the fact that I have some very easy aliases, so it's easier for me to pop into the command line, do a GAA to add all my files, do a GCAM to put my message in and send it, instead of working my th- way through the clunky uh, PHP Storm interface. But I found something very cool. Now, you guys have seen some of the uh, terminal apps I I use. So I've already mentioned, and I I mentioned to a friend this week, that one of the things the uh, Kinesis keyboard has got me doing is I've, I've grown more and more frustrated with reaching for my, my mouth. So I'm, I'm finding, I'm finding that I'm doing more and more stuff in the terminal. And like I said, I've always done my Git stuff in the terminal. That, that wasn't a big thing. But I've shared with you guys some of the other terminal apps I use, like Lazy Docker was one. GoTop is another one. And there's another one out that I've really fallen in love with. I mean, I think it's actually better, better, hear you, than the built in PHP Storm Git management system. It's called Lazy Git. It's a terminal based application written in Go. And again, the term, saying it as a terminal based application, is almost like, short sale because yeah it's terminal based but you still use your mouse and click around if that's who you are or you can use key bindings and click around if 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 you're more like me but it's so cool because not only does it show you the files that are staged but it should it right there in the interface it shows you the diffs of that file that's that you know you're that either it is staged or is it staged So, so it does the whole it has a it has a place for all the change files. If by default, they're not staged. You got to go through and stage them, or you can stage all of them. But when you click on one of them, on the right-hand side, it shows you what's changing the file, which is actually something that's always driven me crazy. It's like, okay, what did I change in this file? And you can do it in Storm. At least the only way I know to do it in Storm is to double-click on the file, and then it'll open up a diff for you. But this interface, fantastic. It shows you all the commits, so you can click on any of the commits, and you can see, you can see a little... Get log on the right hand side of, of what's in that in that commit hmm. it's lazy git is pretty cool i almost i almost always have, like whatever project i'm working on whether i'm working on it in vim or php storm i almost always have a window open of that project in lazy git just hmm. to kind of it's very nice you should check it out
3: uh, i might check it out I, but i can tell you when you go to commit within php storm you get that same like all your files where you can check and uncheck which ones you want to Actually, include in your commit, and then as you highlight it, you'll see the diff of what you are committing. And I believe oh, there's a, wh- okay. I believe there's a way within there where you can commit just pieces of a file, not the entire thing.
1: Uh, it's weird. So that's a feature in Lazy Git as well. I'm like, why would why would you ever, that? Seems like very granular, a very well, granular thing. But
3: I often find myself, and I've com- complained to our developers about it in the past, where they're working on a feature and then they're like. Oh, but I also want to just update this one thing, or I want to fix this typo, or I want to fix this that has nothing to do with the feature they're working on. Where mm. you can do that, commit that one piece, push it up, and open a PR just for that fix. It has nothing to do with your PR. I'm sick of seeing PRs with tons of files that you know vary from you know cleaning up code, refactoring, new features. It's like no, I won't, when your PR is huge, you don't really review it, and that's. Mm-hmm. Not good for anybody. The whole point of a review is to give good feedback. So I yeah, want PRs I small, tight, well defined. That's. That's why. funny, and,
1: and now that you say that, I, I I have been in that that use case where you know I'm either that or I'm working on something. and I see something broken. it's like, oh shit! I'm, I just need to change this one thing, not related to anything I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. That that would be a good good use and case I, for that.
3: And I still do it all the time. Where I'm like, ah, eh, this one line is not that big of a deal. I'm going to include it in a PR, but. When I'm doing a review, I know how much it annoys me. So it's got to be annoying other people. Mm -hmm. So I really need to be better at that. Thomas, are you
2: going to participate in this show? Are you just going to play with OBS this this entire time? I don't have a whole lot to say. You know what I've been doing all (laughs) week. You're on on vacation, right? Yeah, nothing. Just didn't. (laughs) I've... I've literally spent all my time playing with OBS as if that were my new job.
1: It's fun, right? I mean, once you <laughs> once you have some time to focus on it.
2: Yeah, it doesn't always work the way you want it to. It's a very finicky little software, but it's got some incredible stuff. Um, and I'll probably end up writing a, a, a write-up on how we're using it because getting it to this state and figuring out how other people get it to the similar state that we're in was not easy. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a lot of research, so <clears throat> maybe, maybe put that all together in a blog or something.
1: Okay, so you bring this... Up, I'm glad you brought this up. I have it on my on my to do list to talk about as well. What do you think about the idea of um, of uh, doing a so so the PHP ugly website now just forwards to Simplecat and we yeah. we lose we use theirs. I've been thinking about doing the PHP website again. So like I'm talking about the tools I use, you know the the the, the uh, lazy git, the lazy Docker, the Go top, the H top. I'm like I would love to have like somewhere to post, you know, a tools list or or you know when I come across new tools I use to post. I'm not a big medium person. I don't like trying to maintain my own WordPress install. But if I did a PHP website, because one of the things we're doing now is all of our shows we're saving to a CouchDB. This is part of another project uh, we worked on. That couch, that CouchDB now allows me to distribute our, our podcasts, you know, streams to anywhere I want to consume them at. And so I'm thinking, like, I could redo a PHP ugly website where we could start doing blog posts. Like, we could have a doom and gloom section where, even if we don't talk <laughs> about doom and gloom on the show, you have somewhere to go post to. If I did something like that, would you guys contribute to that? No, I would sure try to. <laughs> I appreciate your honesty. That's my only thing. It's like I always feel like I'm on the hook to 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 do it all, and I'm like, okay, well, I really want this, but I don't want to be the only one having to write you know articles and things like that. So. When you
3: asked, when you asked for a post on Medium, I contributed a couple, but then it kind of just fizzled. It just
1: fizzled. Yeah, right? I don't know. Like I don't everything really else, it's...
2: endorse Medium. Generally speaking, anyways, but
1: I mean, I think it would be cool, like to show somebody the the OBS setup, you know, where we do that. I thought about just doing it on Patreon, but then I'm like, uh, you know, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to. I mean, we appreciate our Patreons. Thank you, Patreons. But we're not about putting up paywalls. I mean... You guys, yeah, you know, the people on Patreon—they're getting awards, or not awards—they're getting things for their support for us. We appreciate that, but I'm not trying to hide content from people. I guess is what I'm saying.
2: Um, then
3: you're doing it wrong. So I don't.
1: But-
2: know. I, I mean, I think that's the general, the general idea overall is that we're not the Taylor. You know, with the Taylor is mm-hmm. so proactive about everything he does and his public image and the amount of work he does for blogs and public-facing stuff. It's like, I just find that stuff so exhausting. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've tried to start up a blog a couple times, and like once I start writing out my opinion, my first thought is, God, no one wants to hear me. (laughs) <laughs> isn't isn't a great position for a podcaster? But <laughs> like I don't know, my that's I I've always struggled with that stuff.
1: All right. Well, I don't know. Maybe I, I probably won't do it now. But I don't know. Maybe I will. I feel like I like I have these these spurts of wanting to to. to do things like this and then you know i get it to a point but i'm unable to maintain it and i've already got like this podcast we got php architect podcast got community corner for php architect i mean i i i probably overcommitted on my free time already so i don't know we'll see yeah i, 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 I think
2: it's project. it's something that the uh that really makes me feel my age is when i look at young people who are doing all of this content production and media management stuff and self man why am i not doing that and then i realized that it took me 26 hours to get my first win on fall guy and that was the more important thing for those several well
3: you also got to realize that a lot of they're younger because they don't need as much income they're probably staying at home they're viewing this as a career path. So they're spending most of their time, the ones that are successful are spending most of their time creating their, themselves, creating their right. brand. So I applaud them for being able to do that. Unfortunately, I can't live on that kind of income right now with, you know, being older, having family. You just can't. When you're younger, you have that op- That opportunity.
2: Yeah, really is a pain in the ass. Having
3: kids and a family. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't trade it for the world, but also yeah. no one's offered anything,
3: so I don't know what it's what they're worth because I haven't g- gotten an offer yet.
2: Yeah. Um I've got some news though, even though I've done nothing this week. A big update to Safari has rolled in and it now supports the standardized web extensions API interface that Chrome, Firefox and Edge all use. So now all the extensions that are available are available for all browsers.
1: I didn't know that was a thing between Chrome and Firefox. Neither
2: did I. Yep. Uh, There's little tweaks you have to make when you're writing an extension so that it acknowledges which browser is which, uh, depending on what you want to do. But for the most part, yeah, they're just
3: intercompatible now. Uh, So you can install this pretty much the same extension. The extension is responsible for making sure it's using the right APIs.
2: Well, so the, the base API is the same now. It's The big thing is there's slight permission differences between the browsers, um, mm-hmm. so you just have to be aware of that stuff. But besides that, I mean, now it's really just, it's all the same thing. Which, I mean, it's JavaScript, so it should have been a long time ago, but now it actually... Interesting.
3: I forgot, I've written... Uh, extensions for something. I, it may have just been for testing. I can't remember what it was for now. But it was pretty easy to do. Yeah, if I could do it anyone again,
2: I'm amazed there isn't more malware based on extensions. So we had
3: something. I'm sorry. I was just trying to think of what we had going on. What did we have where we had a lot of debugging recently? Because that's what I really love doing, and it's. It seems like people spend too much time like spinning their wheels and it's like bring me in a little bit sooner so we can debug this and we we had that with our biggest client recently and I can't re- remember what What it came down to being. Oh, that frustrates me.
1: I remember, I think I remember the topic, but I don't know how I can share that.
3: Yeah. Well, it was more just a generic concept I wanted to share. And now I'm sorry. I didn't didn't write it down. I should have. (laughs) If only we had had a Trello board for this kind of stuff. I
1: started listening to an audio book, the very famous coding development uh, the Pragmatic Programmer. It has their oh, yeah. 20th edition. And they convinced me to keep a day journal. And so I've been doing that for th- this week. And it's, like you said, it, well, not, not like you said, John, but one of the problems I have is I always have these ideas or thoughts that I want to follow up on. And they're not really things I want to put on my to-do list because they're not really to-do things. And, I, I you know, I, I used to try to do this in Evernote, but then I never look at the Evernote again. So I started keeping this this day journal where whenever something pops in my mind, no matter how like minor I think it is or how much I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll remember that tomorrow. I'll just put it in my my day journal now. And I just have all this random stuff in there now. And it's kind of cool because I'll, I'll go like when I start my day journal for tomorrow, I'll look at what I did today and then I'll get my day journal going. And I finally found a good use to a tool I have, which again, I was looking to replace Evernote with it. And then I'm like, no, nah, this doesn't really work as a replacement for Evernote. It's called Notation. It's very, Notation is a very niche sort of thing that once you get your head around, which I think I'm finally getting there, it's actually pretty strong because everything, everything in Notation, at least the, the, the way I'm getting my head around it now, Everything, every document, everything in there is a database or, or yeah, database, a data store, and you can s- include data into other docs. So like we have a, um, I have a dashboard for Diego dev. This, this is a little different than so some Stay on topic. I have a dashboard for Diego dev where I see all of our projects. I see all of our clients, I see all, all of our developers, and I can go to this dashboard and s- kind of get an overview of everything that's being worked on in the company with all our different clients. And then I drill into that because, you know, we have weekly stand-up. So I'll drill into that particular project and record our weekly stand-up in, in that project. But I also have another database for general meeting, where if, if I get pulled into meeting, I, I capture it. And in my, in my dashboards now, so I have a daily dashboard to kind of expand on that. In my daily dashboard, I can pull in these databases where I say, okay, show me any meetings I've had in the last week and show me any projects that have had any activity. And when I see activity, it means I've gone in there and edited, edited something in that project in the last week. And I don't know. It's, it's only been, a, like I said, I've only done this for about a week now and I'm slowly starting to like it. And I don't
3: know. It, it's kind of cool. Uh, Are you? Are you able to share those dashboards? I mean, Anything I location? could. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I. Yes, the answer to your question. Yes, but it wouldn't be like I can. I can share with you the template I use to create mine. But like sharing my dashboard with you wouldn't make sense because it's all the stuff particular. But I can definitely show you like how I did it and, well, and create templates for it.
3: Well, I meant more like the one you're talking about with for our meetings where you're you're running and you you're talking to specific people about what they've worked on. Mm-hmm. We had a, we had a meeting the other day that you weren't able to make because you were out of the house and I didn't have that same information that you had. So I just kind of blabbered on for 15 minutes without having yeah, specific I, talking points that you have.
1: Yeah. So we had another employee at DAO that used notation and it, it does have work workspace. Um, So, so yes, there is a collaboration, not only that, but we talked about browser plugins. Uh, notation has a browser plug and I have certain databases in my notation world that are like, I have one that's Laravel News articles I like so whenever I come across a Laravel news article I want to say I add it to this database and I have the same thing for Laravel in general I have the same thing for PHP in general those are actually databases I've thought about sharing publicly because they're just links to websites that interest me and that like Laravel packages that that interest me and I'm like there's there's the ability to publicly share uh, a a database or notation I don't I don't know what the naming convention is in there and I thought about doing that I'm like yeah you know, I should just share my Laravel links to the world and if anybody wants to use them they can use them if they don't they don't and i still might do that i don't i get very weird about opening up to the world again strange comment coming from somebody doing podcasting but well what else we have well you talked uh, i think last week or maybe the week before about how oktoberfest is coming up and
2: how you were getting Hacktober, excited about yes, it Oktoberfest. And-
1: I apologize. You're absolutely correct. Hacktoberfest. I mean, Octoberfest and if too, you can...
2: and honestly, I might be a little more excited about Octoberfest.
1: <laughs> okay. so it does have a little different meaning. Uh, if you're not familiar with what Hacktoberfest is, it's sponsored by DigitalOcean, correct, Thomas? Yes. Okay. It's a, it's a sponsored thing from DigitalOcean, and in the month of October, if you contribute to a certain amount of open-source project, uh, you get a t-shirt from digital ocean a uh, hacktober i don't know what the uh what the the threshold is this year it's typically like five prs like in the past it's been like five prs the prs don't have to be pulled in you just have to open up prs to an open source project but that, that those rules change a little bit every year i don't know what this year's threshold is i don't know what the rules are but i do have a link to share with everybody um so as it turns out i've gotten pretty well no i, I don't want to oversell this but i I've learned how to use Git search engine or GitHub's search engine to find things. Like just recently, I was looking for PRs that were recently closed that were submitted by a particular developer that and, and in the, the chain went on a, a few things, a few, oh, to a, to a specific branch. And it just went on for a while. So I actually came up with a GitHub search that. I I, had bookmarked quite honestly, maybe I didn't come up with it. Maybe I found this somewhere. I don't even know anymore, but I have a GitHub search string that will share the link in the show notes that if you're interested in Hacktoberfest, this all comes back around. Trust me. Enjoy this journey with me. It's a little bit of a bumpy ride, but I'll get there. If you're interested in Hacktoberfest, this link will show you open source projects that are related to PHP that have been specifically tagged as a good first issue PR or or issue. What that means, what it's meant meant to mean is that these are project maintainers that are like, hey, if you want to do a PR, here's an issue to work on. This is a good first issue for you. It shouldn't be too difficult. It shouldn't be too hard. You shouldn't have to know the code base too much. This is a good first issue. So I have a string now that gives you PHP open source good first issues to go tackle. And if you want to get in the Hacktoberfest, go to GitHub, go to this link, check it out and start plucking these things off. I'm
2: I'm contributing. I'm giving back. Contributing, Funny I told enough, you, your contribution I, will not count for Hacktoberfest. No,
1: not at all. I, you know we we game this one year. If you guys don't don't recall, I uh, remember we used to do our show notes on GitHub, and we just open. You know, we just let everybody. Edit our show notes and open up PRs for show notes. I thought yeah. it was a brilliant idea. I don't. Of I don't course, know, you know if
2: the uh, the 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 legal issue with that has worn off yet.
1: No, I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure we're the reason why there are more rules. Like <laughs> they looked at us like these
2: assholes. Gonna,
1: I had a lot to drink tonight. By the way, <laughs> I don't know if you guys caught my earlier. I've been drinking a lot of wine, and I'm crashing. <laughs> uh,
2: have you guys seen the story about Amazon drivers hanging phones in trees? <laughs>
1: What I, I you've had this on your Trello board for a, for a couple of weeks? I had to go look this up myself because I'm like, this is nutty, man. And I actually found I, I actually think I found a better link than the one you have in here. I meant to share it with you. And I yes
2: the the one that I have here was the original article from a couple of weeks ago, and they didn't understand they didn't explain mm-hmm. the technical issue that well. Mm-hmm. But basically, as an Amazon driver, you're given a, a bunch of packages, and when you come within range of the warehouse to pick up more packages, then they allocate them to you. So,
1: well, I think it, I think it stretches beyond that. I, th- I think this is what I read in the other article. Maybe is it also because uh, because Amazon also owns what is it? Sprouts. They own some grocery store chain.
2: But Whole Foods. Uh, Whole I, Foods. Yeah.
1: Whole Foods. There you go. And I think. I think this is related to that as well. Like I think Whole Foods Whole Foods is doing home delivery and it's the same thing. Like these Amazon drivers are leaving their phones like at the Whole Foods and when a delivery pops up, it shows that they're there they're already at the Whole Foods. Let's give them the the delivery and then know yeah, they're like
2: basically gaming the system right and that's the thing that was interesting to me was that this is a level of gaming the system that like there's no automation there's no tooling there's nothing you can do about this this is just bad people and they're gonna win like they're
3: always gonna win. so once they get the order they have to i guess put the address in their another phone to get where they're going
2: uh it's not entirely clear but it appears that they have a a partner in this who checks the phones that are hanging from the trees and accepts incoming requests for delivery and so then they get texted on their personal phone that they've got pickups here here and here and I it's I, I can't see it as being incredibly efficient but I mean if it makes if you make another five pickups in a day that could be 60 bucks so I and in
1: the actual article I read, um, I should look for that again. I keep, I keep reference, but like Amazon still hadn't acknowledged that it's a real thing. Like they're, they've only acknowledged that this is something that we've gotten some complaints about, and we're looking into it. But I haven't heard any like, "Oh yeah, no, this is happening." Well, we're going to figure out how to fix this, or. Or we don't care about it. I I haven't seen any kind of media like that. It's interesting. Yeah, not I'm gonna the, read
3: more on that because I'm curious.
2: Not all the information is out there, but it's it just it struck me as funny because it's it's gaming the system, and any system that's big enough, you're gonna have this kind of problem. And who knows what Amazon's gonna be able to do about it?
1: And, and honestly, I mean, what do you think they care? Like maybe the user experience, as far as they expected to get their package in 30 minutes and took 45 minutes. Maybe they're a little concerned about that, but they got their package, right? I mean, as long as it's delivered within some threshold that I'm sure they're monitoring and they, they would address whether somebody's gaming the system or not, I don't know if Amazon cares. Now... The drivers care because the people who are trying to do it honestly, honestly, are complaining that hey, we can't make an honest buck. You got these guys hanging phones off trees, right? That's yeah, that's their concern. But at the end of days, like Amazon is like,
3: yeah, that sucks for you, right? Yeah, but, but and they can do something about it, right? They could have a app that you have to install, which I'm sure they already have, but they could do more tracking of the GPS location and specific like film the- that it's on.
2: Well, that's, that's
3: like the if thing. That's the phone is that's hanging from the tree. That's right, the thing. Could, like if,
1: the, if the phone hasn't moved in like, you know, the last two hours, it's like, okay, well, we're not going to worry about this guy because apparently he's just sitting in the parking lot.
3: Let's and find somebody know, who's actually working. And they know where they're supposed to be going, so they could be monitoring and make sure they're going to where they're supposed to be. Yeah, I, but I'm not sure. It's We don't have to solve their problem for them. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they don't pay us for that. Yeah, not nearly <laughs> enough. No, well, if
1: you're a developer out there, I tweeted this earlier this week. Uh, I also saw a tweet from our buddy Dave Stoke uh, that if you are still on MySQL 5.6, it's end of lifing. I mean, it's end of lifing very soon. Like the next couple, I think it was next six months or something or yeah, next six months. uh, This really surprised me. But then I realized
2: I was stupid to be surprised because holy crap, that's all. Right.
1: That's the thing. It's like. I mean, we've been on five seven for a while, so it's it's like yeah, but but uh, you know, it, just like anything else, it's going to keep working. It's an open source data store; it doesn't stop working. Your license doesn't run out, so you're just not going to get any updates to it anymore. Um, so that's a you know a decision you need to make as a as a developer whether or not it's a risk you want to live with or not. But it's a data source. It shouldn't be that difficult to... It's not like it's a PHP version jump or a Laravel version jump. There's some new things in there, but for the most part, pretty easy thing to upgrade to. Yeah, the behavior
3: yeah, is the, all identical. Not necessarily identical. There's There are concerns around query performance. You know, there's, people spend a lot of time optimizing their query for their specific version that may not work the exact same way. Yeah. Um, newer version. I know that's Fomber's reason for not upgrading so far is there are so many very expensive queries that run on the database that have taken forever to try and optimize trying to force specific indexes to be used because MySQL didn't seem to be getting it right for some reason and throwing a little hack in there it just seemed like the query ran so much better and you try and run that in a newer version of MySQL it just doesn't seem to work as well.
2: Well, I think that's because so, the problem got fixed.
3: Possibly. I mean, I don't know specific queries. I know people are are looking into it and supposed to be trying it, but there's there is a very big fear of making that upgrade on a production system and having the performance take a hit because you... Made that decision.
2: Yeah, and I I can understand, but I mean, it's the same problem with Intel's uh, Spectre bugs, where when they had to patch their CPU bugs, people took like a 10% CPU, and all the server farms had to do it because the risk of damage over the risk of the loss in performance was just you had to accept. Mm. So, I mean, once. Once this is completely end of life, let's say two years down the line where people accepted that they're not going to have a patch, there's a gigantic bug that causes the entire internet to become vulnerable. It's one thing, you know, you're going to end up paying $100,000 in downtime and repairs instead of the $10,000 in annual computation fee now having Right. Been. So it's a balance. Yeah.
3: And trust me, I want to get up to the, to the latest version. I'm hoping that people are taking it seriously and. And running tests as best they can, because there are a lot of cool new features that would be great to take advantage of. Yep. Fun stuff. I,
2: I got one more thing that's been well. I, actually, two more things. If you want some doom and gloom, I've got some. Uh, I've got some great doom and gloom for you right now. You guys are melting. The entire state, I believe, is on fire. Uh, Literally we, on Monday. The temperature here was 85 degrees, and on Tuesday, it was 32, and it snowed right. about six inches. Did it really? It did. Wow. But
1: I she- mean, we kind of had the same thing out here. I-, I walked out to my car on Monday, and it was covered in ash. <laughs> it's kind of like <laughs> snow
2: well two weeks ago we had a thunderstorm which i've gotten very used to living here except that uh this thunderstorm hit our house which i've never experienced before i've never had like been in a house that got hit by lightning and it threw sparks outside like the outlets in the house like visible <laughs> sparks came out of the
3: outlets that sounds like fun
2: yeah and it looked like everything was okay um until i went uh, uh to watch some tv shows that night and my poor Raspberry Pi four just was dead. It's just toast. Yeah. Well, I was, immediately when we got hit, I immediately turned all the electronics off and like started smelling around the house like a cat, just sniffing <laughs> everything. Uh, but no, it, it took it took me two weeks to get the Cody box up and running because I got, oh, ah. I tried to get it working and fix it and I couldn't get it fixed. I ordered a new one. <clears throat> the new one came in. HDMI completely failed on it. Mm-hmm. So I had to RMA that. So my third one finally works. I popped in the SD card from the old one, booted it up and it basically just said, Hey, it's been two weeks. Where you guys been? But everything was still working. It was like, it is nothing ever happened. Very lucky. But now I have boxes and boxes of USB cables or, uh, hdmi cables and converters and stuff it's a mess but must be
1: nice to have weather it must be nice for lightning to strike and like the whole, you know, half of the state doesn't go up in fire and smoke. I mean, that must be a pleasant
2: thing. Well, we had that, but then the weather dropped to, you know, 32 degrees. So we had one day where we had the giant orange sky full of smoke, but then it
3: started snowing. Seems like the entire coast is orange last week.
2: Yep. That's what you get for not sweeping your leaves. <laughs> All right. You said you had two. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, I thought yeah. you said you had two things. Well, I was going to bring up the content visibility thing. The new CSS property that boosts performance. Performance.
1: I actually had a question about this one for you. I, I read this article uh, again. I, I thought we were going to talk about last week, but but we didn't. But if I am looking at this rate, I mean, yeah, it, you, you went from you know under a second to know, more under a second. Is that really that big of a deal? I, I'm sorry, it I jumped would, ahead. I, explain what it is, I guess, first, because I, I kind of, I kind of spoiled that one.
2: So it's, it's a new CSS property that basically says don't render this content until it's visible on the page. So after the fold. Basically, um, what's interesting to me is they show examples of a very good implementation where you have collections of images and text and stuff. They don't show a bad implementation and what that looks like, which would be just adding this tag to every element. So like, would it make performance worse if all the stuff was incorrectly tagged as content visibility auto? No?
1: Yeah. I thought that was a, I read it because I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm not a big CSS person, but I'm always interested when there, there's these articles of, Oh yes, yeah, CSS can help boost your, your, your performance of your website. I'm like, all hey, right, you know, it's good CSS is good CSS. I'm looking at this. I'm like, all hey, right, you went from what, Two, three, two milliseconds of rendering to. 30 milliseconds of rendering
2: oh, Okay. Yeah. Isn't that all that still under a second? <laughs> well, but the total rendering time went down by a second.
1: Okay. Still. <laughs> just, I got seconds to spare. I'm willing to run all my goddamn migrations. I've you, got seconds, man. You, I'm not well, that you worried about remember, it.
2: Though, you remember back in the day when Google's landing page was just the search bar, that was the game changer.
1: Uh, oh, not back in the day. To this day, we have clients that talk about search engine op- optimizations and this and 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 squeezing every you know every nanosecond out of the rendering of a page because you'll get a higher
3: ranking yeah I,
2: but people people it. really do care about <laughs> that half a second of rendering time nah, I, I don't i don't i
3: don't well, for pe- people may not but if it does affect your rankings it's a big deal yeah don't care and you're also looking at that specific example if it is as beneficial as it says on a very large page that could add up to more than a second
2: yeah, because I have some very large pages that it definitely would help. My problem is my very large pages aren't broken up into uh, above the fold and below the fold. They're, it's just broken up into container and then a billion objects. So I don't know. It really it really feels like you're just going to have to do it no matter what to get your Google rankings up, <laughs> even if it doesn't help you. Um, but it, it it applies some interesting uh, sort of assumed calculations. There's a contain intrinsic size, which says when you're calculating this stuff, when you're calculating the, the total layout, calculate it as if the, the content beyond the fold won't break beyond this size. So if you do implement it poorly, it could really ugly up your website web page as you scroll things will start shifting in size and cal- yeah
3: sorry i don't do css it's such a pain in the ass
2: really is i really really do hate css so that's
3: why right. i was Sounds like bring we're it up at the and end that d- d- said no and then eric made you do it anyway
2: yeah i'm a dick like that
1: the, i think that's been well established it's
2: the classic uh it's the classic formula for us okay or... that's it episode 205 we're done i'm eric no i'm john Hold on, we do have to thank our Patreon. Thank, thank you, Patreons. Oh, Patrons you, yeah. on Patreon. Do we, do Is do that an updated list? Uh, <clears throat> since I'm doing it, no, it's probably not an updated because I can't get into Patreon
3: now.
1: Oh, that's right, you added that two factor onto it, John.
3: Yeah. You're welcome.
1: Let, let, me, let me know when you log in, I'll send uh, you the two factor. All right. Gonna, we're not trying to ice you out, man, I promise. All
3: right, so that's it. Oh, we have to do the ending again? I'm John. I'm Eric. I'm Tom. Keep it up. Thanks for
0: listening to the PHP Ugly podcast. If you would like to support PHP Ugly, check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash phpugly. You can also follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at phpugly or join us in the PHP Ugly Discord channel. Show notes and RSS feed can be found at phpugly.com. To catch the live stream, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at www.youtube.com phpugly. You can also subscribe to the edited podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast catcher of choice. A reading of five stars is always appreciated. And finally, thanks to our sponsor, the Diego Dev Group. If you are looking for developers who care about the code they create the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then reach out to the Diego Dev Group at diegodev.com. Until next week, keep it ugly.